0: Hi, this is Steve Johnson, and welcome back to episode two of our visit with Liz Bauer. In this episode, we talk about a number of things that are valuable for making change happen, and some things that get in the way of making change happen. And sometimes it's the same people. You'll find out why it's important to always assume positive intent, especially when you're talking with someone you might assume is an adversary. So let's get on to episode two with Liz Bauer. And afterwards, I invite you to tune in to the Unlocky Chat Cafe, hosted by Carrie Johnson, my podcasting partner and the person who has helped me navigate life for the last 35 years. Mm-hmm.
1: Running the P and A for twenty years was uh, was was absolute fun, and then I just thought I should retire because I was sixty five. I wish I hadn't, but I see who knows, you know. You- you do what you do. But then I had time to stay at the state board meetings longer mm-hmm. instead of just going to testify. So I I've heard it
0: uh, described that <laughs> uh, retirement is actually rehirement. Yes, that's and, a good idea. Um, you but... just changed your focus.
1: Yes. But... Oh, I sat there that whole day because I'd been lobbying for the rights of students with special education needs for 20 years. I watched the whole board meeting and this is an honest statement. My thought at the end was they're not bad people. They just don't have a clue. I think I need to run for the state board so that I did.
0: <laughs> I like earlier you said you know, in yeah. our conversation that you assume what kind of intent. Positive intent. Assuming a positive intent. Yeah. And there's times in which uh, I've known parents and myself too because yeah. we have a disabled son. Yeah. Um, you get really angry with, let's oh. say, community mental health and their logic or reasoning about yeah. something, and it seems like they're more of a an adversary than an yep. advocate for you and for your mm-hmm. child. But then I realize that nobody really goes into social work in order to make a name for themselves or to amass a fortune. No. They go in there because they had yeah. a great intent and a heart right. to do something. Yeah. And it helps you think to think a little bit more positively toward them. Yeah, It doesn't make the issue go away. No. But, no. but I think when you're not assuming that you're across from an adversary, yeah. Yeah. you can begin to have some compassion for their point of view. Right. And it helps you promote your point of view
1: exactly and another just hanging on that uh asking people and listening you know when you're at a impasse or whatever is way helpful Mm -hmm. i'm gonna go way back to when i was director of community placement a lot of my job was to go to the institutions and The expectation was I would tell the families we are closing the institution and your son or daughter is going to go live in the community. Now, if I had said that (laughs) right away, no way. My son leaves 24-hour care. So that only just set up, you know, that just set up an argument and the families were feeling cornered. So, but if I just ask them to talk about their son, you know, tell me about your son. Now tell me what he does here. And immediately the answers would be like, I don't know. I never get to see, you know, they bring him dressed to the front room. And, uh, and then, you know, and ask them more, you know, well, how do you feel? Uh, well, last time I was here, he had all these cuts and bruises on him and stuff. And, blah, 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 you know, and it, over a period of conversation hours whatever, they would actually come to the thing that maybe he should move to a better environment but they would suggest it not if otherwise they would just fight it and then uh, then some of the parents uh, uh, you know when their, their kids did move because they were going to move and then they bloomed in their uh, setting in the community just bloomed. And a couple of them, uh, this Harry Miller, he had, he had really fought uh, hard against his daughter leaving the institution. I mean, she was going to die in five minutes if she left the institution. But then she didn't, and she actually, like, flowered
0: Now, did outside? he admit that? Did he, oh, yes. Okay. Oh, yes.
1: And what was so magnificent about Harry was... Uh, it was he, he had a total epiphany. He was like a total supporter. Now, Harry was older than me, and he had been there, done that. His daughter had been in this setting, blah, blah, blah. And I was, uh, well, I was working for P&A at this point, but I was expert in a lot of different cases in other states. And there was an institution closing in Georgia. And uh, so I took Harry with me. And I said, you know, I I wasn't going to be like the big expert, you know, who do you? But Harry could talk to these parents. They're all the same age. He'd been there, done that. He could talk about what a difference. Nothing like
0: bringing a true believer. And
1: it was really powerful because they would listen. They would have conversation. I mean, both sides listening to one another. And and, uh, he understood their... um, Reluctance because he'd been reluctant, also. And I remember people in the department just saw him as such a barrier to doing the right thing, which was getting people out in the community. And I saw a father who was scared to death for his daughter.
0: You know, it's interesting an article that we'll post on the website is the parent groups their role in a better life for the handicapped. And that was actually published back in May of 1976 so yeah. it's like 43 years old right. uh, it, it shows how parents were responsible for actually getting behind and, and uh, advocating for their children from the age from back in the oh, 20s up yeah. to the current and, and it's an excellent article yeah. I, I I really suggest anybody go to the website and read that yeah. but the amazing thing is that parents can be the greatest force for change. And also the greatest obstacle to change because of the protective nature. We don't want our children to be hurt. We want to make sure that they're safe and protected. And that's all very valid. It's all very, very, very real to us. By the same token, we assume what they can and cannot do. And we are almost always wrong. Because every parent I've talked to (laughs) where a child has moved out of the house, the thing they could never do, they do. yes. And yes. it's not despite the parents.
1: No, no. It's maybe
0: because if if the expectations are raised yeah. for someone yeah. and the opportunity is there and there's there's a gentle spirit guiding them, yeah. they become much more independent yeah, really? and much more satisfied and happy. Right. You know, years ago I had read an article, I was searching Google for self determination. Yeah. yeah. And I found an article written by two college professors and I can't remember the name of it right now, but we'll post that also. Yeah. And I thought this was about disability, but it wasn't. It was just about human beings in general. It said there's three psychological nutriments that every human being has, regardless of their IQ, their station, in life, their economic, whatever. They need to feel a sense of ability. They have to have uh, the competent at something. Yeah. They need to also feel connected. Mm -hmm. And they need to feel that they have autonomy of choice. Now, all those three are kind of, it's not like, okay, now that I have a sense of of, uh, competency, now I can move on to the relationships. They're all integrated. integrated. But by the same token, how much autonomy and how much integration into relationships and how much freedom of choice does someone have when they're living in someone else's house that's making the rules? Yeah. When they're moved out and they are able to have a say, like nothing about me, about without me. Right they start to bloom. Yeah. And everything you've been describing is yeah. exactly that. And
1: it, it you know, it for for some they can really articulate their choices and wishes very, you know, using the language that people understand. But given opportunity, even people without language can can determine uh, their choices. But they have to be able to to exercise that choice. And Correct. that's what I love about where Jenny lives now. <laughs> She has druthers. I mean, she only wore... To, her outfits have to match just so. Uh, staff know well, do not lay out clothes for Jenny Bauer. She will not wear what you put <laughs> She will go in her closet and she will make a selection. They, they're good on that now. Do not make the bed with the sheets she does not prefer because when she comes in from an outing, she will turn back the corner of the mattress to check the sheets. If they're the wrong ones, whoop, she steps the bed in two seconds.
0: You know, it's amazing. Uh, we have a 31 year old son with cerebral palsy and autism yeah. and epilepsy, and yeah. he does not have uh, a great deal of speech. He's, no. he's not a conversationalist, I'll yeah. put it that way. Yeah. But we know Liamese. His name is Liam, and he speaks yeah. Liamese, and we can, body language, we yeah. understand that. But he is very, very particular also yeah. about certain things. And if you do it a different way, I'm sorry, that's not acceptable and he will change it.
1: Isn't that and my wonderful? wife and
0: I have the theory that when you have fewer choices in your life, you are going to be a dictator about the ones you have control over.
1: Right. And I think there's a lot to that. I really do. And and so, you know, uh wherever the living environment is, Virginia if to be if she were to be living alone in a place, that would be horrible because she needs community. And she has, she has her preferences and some of them are so funny, Steve. I mean, she really likes watch, there's a gas station across the street from their house. She really likes to sit and look out the window and watch, particularly men, get in and out of their cars. <laughs> and so they've arranged. So she, Can sit right where she can watch, and you know, they don't make her do this or that or the other thing. There's like, you know,
0: it's honoring her choice. She better
1: be there, and we better have the shade up, or she's gonna not be. She'll just, she'll just, just another. She doesn't know how to manage the shades, just takes the slats out of it if it's closed. So, the better
0: thing is. And my son will (laughs) behave very, very well for an aide that is a female, especially a blonde. Oh, okay? see? So we've noticed that, you know, if it's yeah. a guy, yeah, maybe you got to earn his respect. If a yeah. woman walks in the room, he's just on his perfect behavior.
1: Yeah, isn't that just so fun? It, it, Jeremy it's... Johnson could come and be his teacher. Right, I
0: right. When you mentioned <laughs> the very good looking Swedish
1: teacher. Oh, no, but it's, uh, but I think, you know, uh, respecting those choices, however, you know, uh, yeah.
0: Even when you know, yeah. that it's not going to work out, yeah, the dignity of failure. Oh yeah, is a great teaching yeah. tool.
1: I always laugh. I think back. We there was an era, uh, I forgot which decade, but there was a lot of talk in one of the decades, maybe around the in the eighties, on the dignity of risk.
0: Yes, and uh, I love that.
1: Talk. How and and the comment was. If you sleep on the floor, you'll never fall out of bed. There you go. <laughs> so fall out, but so what? <laughs> if
0: you don't have plans, you'll never fail, right? Right.
1: You had mentioned you wanted to talk a little bit about where where we're going, and uh, and you also mentioned how powerful the parent organizations were when they were organized. Uh, originally they didn't cooperate too much, but over time they got together and they cooperated. And when they were working in, in co- cooperation with one another, they were enormously powerful because numbers are power and knowledge is power. And it, money is power too, but you can do a lot without money if you have numbers and if you have mm-hmm. a common vision, agreed upon. The minute you're each going after your own particular preferred goal, you're guaranteed not to get there because legislative bodies, whether it's federal or state, as long as they sense that they're going to be wrong, whichever way they move, they're not going to move. And it, it, you're just not going to get the answer. It's the
0: nature <laughs> of politics.
1: Yeah. So you do have to come together together and the work I did internationally, a lot of the training I would do internationally was to bring, uh, persons with intellectual disabilities, families, whatever together and work with them to identify, well, usually they had a lot of goals, but then what was one that they all held in common? That was the one that they could work on and then help them, help them craft a plan and work that plan and they could use the reports we had made about the uh, failures of the government to provide the good services or whatever is leverage. But they worked their plan, and uh, it took long. Not as long as it took the families back in the days, 20 years, to get the right to education. Things with communications, you can move faster now. But uh, those... Uh, teams of people that work their plans have achieved their outcomes that they desired. It is possible to do. Uh, I think we've gotten, in our country right now, a bit fragmented, at least when I pull families together they around an issue. Okay, uh, the extended school year to age 26. And what they want. Well, this one wants this, this one wants this. I said... You know, and you might win your battle as an individual. You might, if you've got power or a lawyer or whatever. Uh, but the system isn't going to change. It's not going to be better for all people until people come together with a single plan and move forward.
2: Thank you for tuning into Navigating Life as We Know It. I am Alex here for your mid-episode stretch break. So make sure we stretch it all out and get ready for our next part of the interview. But most importantly, a couple of thank yous. First off, to you, our listener. I know everyone likes to say that, but not only are you guys incredible, you helped us get 100 downloads before our second episode went up. That's kind of cool. We are very Michigan-centric right now. The bulk of our interviews are with people in or operating around the state of Michigan, Michigan, Illinois, the Great Lakes region, that sort of stuff. And while we are right now very regional, we do have episodes from people across America, and we want to get more information going forward. In order for that to happen we need more resources. And that means like, share, subscribe, and help us develop a listener base. Because the bigger our listener base, the more likely someone is to return our phone calls. And when they return our phone calls, we can get you the answers you seek. The second thing is, please reach out to us. Comment on our Facebook page. Send us a tweet. Uh, message us through Facebook, send us an email. If you happen to know Steve or I personally, reach out to us and let us know what you want to hear in the future. We need to know what you want us to go out and find out. The more you listen, the more people follow us, the more likely we can get satisfactory answers to any question that we're offered between now and then. I'm going to let you get back to the interview with Liz. Please remember to stay tuned for the Unlocky Chat Cafe at the end of our episode and have a wonderful listening experience.
1: They're moving very fast at our state level goaded by federal policy because most of our state funding for
3: uh,
1: health and human services is Medicaid. And so the Centers for Medicaid and Medicare Services makes a policy direction. States have to implement it. Uh, Different states do it differently because they have to get waivers approved. But whatever they choose to do um, is going to affect the array of services and supports available to the the people that are currently using them. And uh, uh, the system is, it's moving fast right now, and there's one group of nine advocacy organizations wanting this, and then there's others wanting this, and then the Autism Society is doing its own thing. They've got a lot of high... Uh, you know income kinds of people to push their agenda but alone and uh, uh, and what i see happening is all of this uh, movement and lack of collaboration at the recipient level means that we're going to get whatever they design at the department and it's just going to fall off there's a, a whole briefcase full of papers, I'm I'm trying to make the case to the governor's people and to Sarah Esty, who's the director, Gordon's policy person, that the most recent data the department has on the people they serve is 2014-2015. And they're designing a system, the boxes, Mm -hmm. to serve a group they don't even know who it is. And, uh, you know, if they would do a real needs assessment and find out who needs what, who wants what. Some people want this much, and some people want this much. But if they would do it that way, they would end up with a more effective and probably economical service delivery system. They should clear out, I testified that to uh, Mary Whiteford, uh, the chair of the Appropriations Subcommittee, They should clear out the middle layer. They added, they used to have regional offices. They got rid of them in the 1980s because they were just a layer of bureaucracy that passed paper, got big salaries. Then they invented the PIHPs, the prepaid inpatient health plans, and there were 18. They've reduced it to 10. Uh, they canceled the pilot projects of what they could become. That's gone. Uh, There's discussion about having one single PIHP to run the state. Uh, Another idea that I've talked to people about is uh, why not have the Medicaid Services Administration pass out the money to the providers. Cut out all that middle stuff. You might keep the community mental health agencies as coordinated because they you aren't governed. You've got some sacred governed.
0: cows in that middle area.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, there's sacred cows in all of it. I I've, yeah. I've suggested that on Governor Granholm's commission and uh, when I laid out my plan, uh, the, uh, Peter Pratt was a public sector consultant. He's passed away now, but Peter was a phenomenal facilitator. And he said... Well, that is the elephant in the living room. And I said, well, then we should discuss the elephant. I'm sitting right next to Bill Allen, one of the elephants, and they, and Granholm had stacked, she hadn't stacked, but she had named to the commission a different number of people whose jobs would be gone if they did what I suggested. So, of course, it never got in the got in the work documents i sometimes
0: wonder maybe these numbers are available someplace for every dollar that comes from the center for medicaid and medicare services how much actually goes to a recipient
1: i've always used the three cents
0: three cents well you know
1: it used to be more well here's i did do a study uh i was uh, on the group that had to vet the 18 applications for the prepaid inpatient health plans. So as a consequence, I had all their data, all their salary structures, 33,000. Okay, so I had all their data, all their, you know, so 33,000 pages of data. So I knew what the overhead costs were on all of those things. And this is a layer coming in that we didn't have before, And so I, Granholm got elected, and so I took to her transition team a a sheet that showed if these prepaid inpatient health plans, there are only 94 core providers like Macomb, Oakland, and Kent, and whatever, there are only 94, Hope Network, there are only 94 of those in the whole state. That's 94 contracts. And I used to handle contracts like that. Anyway, uh, I suggested to her, rather than have this non-profit layer in the middle where they were paying the execs $340,000 a year for a four-day work week, which was just making me sick. Where do I apply for that? Yeah, well, that was Bill <laughs> Allen's salary at Oakland PIHP. Yeah, four days a week, $340,000. Um, anyway, uh, so I said, if you had 19 contract uh manager and compliance people, monitoring and compliance people at the state level. Civil service would control their salaries. You could pay them a hundred this is two thousand two. You could pay them a hundred thousand dollars and the fifty-six percent benefit package that is state. Um, so you do that and they then you contract directly with the ninety-four core providers so Oak and the Hope Network and whatever who actually are delivering the service. The net saving that year would have been $100 million. $100 million.
0: $100 million. And if that $100 million went
1: down to well, the wow, they kept it consumer. in the system and put it down there, wouldn't that be? We could hire direct care personnel. Right. I mean, so it's only gotten worse since because everyone, you know, there, there's... Uh, they're all non-profits of so civil service except for Macomb County, which is still run by the county commission. Um, you know, they can just pay whatever they want. They spend the money any way they want. It just makes me sick because I know there's, there's just a lot of stuff. Uh, going out, and then you go to the group home and the staff person's been working 16 hours, getting paid nine fifty an hour with no health care benefits. That's wrong.
0: And that's where the real difference is made right there yeah. with the customer, the and consumer contact. Right.
1: That's right. That's where the loving care, the uh, uh, Jenny's pretty good because she can walk and she can dress herself and do make some choices. A couple of her housemates serious needs you know lifting totally all Mm -hmm. sorts of things so the staff really work very hard and uh, but there's, there's plenty of money in the system it's how is it going to be spent and how is it going to be accounted where is the transparency for how it's spent it's very hidden it's not a good system so we have work to do
0: Which kind of gets into uh, my, to wrap it up, I Mm. was thinking about uh, if we could get inside of an HG Wells time machine Mm. and (laughs) set it for 2040, Yeah. not what needs to be changed, but what what would you love to be able to see people with disabilities, uh, how would they be living? Because it seems like, for the most part, it's consumers and parents, and Mm. I think it's it's actually people with disabilities probably have more to say about what the future looks like now than they mm-hmm. did twenty or thirty years oh, yes, ago. Because yeah, right. when I was reading yeah. through this, it's all what parents <laughs> were deciding for their kids. Right. And then then more back in nineteen seventy six, they started asking people with disabilities, "What right. do you want?" Okay. Right. But if we were to jump forty years into the future,
1: right.
0: Which I guess would actually be, yeah, twenty sixty. 2060.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh,
0: um, if we went that. forty years in the future, what yeah. what? Would you love to be able to see if we could uh, if we could live that long <laughs>
1: okay. and we could go what into the What I would really love to see is that every person breathing from the minute they come in the world breathing is valued and that uh, we form our social systems around them to support them to have a valued life. But that, which means that they have some choices in it. Uh, that doesn't mean every person born. I always figured they all come in raw material.
2: Mm-hmm. You know
1: what happens after raw material, whether it's a disability characteristic or a criminal act or whatever. They still came in the same, and they deserve to have. Every person deserves to have. A supportive environment, whatever that is, that might be assistive technology, it might be uh you know opportunity for education, it might be all kinds of different things uh we we don't even do that well right now. there's some kids that would just groove on a different kind of education. they would be great students, that
0: neurotypical think. kids, yes, yeah, right,
1: yeah, just just yeah, no, I do they just. You know, they're, they're not regarded as a person. They're regarded as a commodity. That's where we are right now. People with disabilities are commodities that enhance the employment of others. Uh, children in schools, at least with Michigan's system, are definitely commodities. you got to grab as many as you can so you can get more $7,500. Uh, so they're not valued for themselves as a human being who has something to offer to other people. I would love to see us move in that direction.
0: Now, let me um, ask you in the follow-up mm-hmm. question here. Being as one who has mastered the art of coloring outside the lines <laughs> and thinking outside the box, so to speak, and um, you, you definitely have mastered that, if we are going to go 40 years into the future and make this a reality, where do we place our efforts now who I has think, to be involved in that yeah. because I am i will never say something can't happen we certainly no. could have that
1: we've uh, done lots of stuff things right if happen. you look
0: at the history yeah. which is why I wanted to visit with you because yeah. of your yeah. amazing background yeah. and experience in yeah. going from well, the, the can't to the can the, yeah
1: but then even as you go to court, rule something and then it right. takes you four years to correct their ruling uh, these things happen But Uh, it's a movement, and it continues
0: to move in a positive direction. So how do we get from where we are now, realizing we still will have obstacles, we're still going to have politics, Mm -hmm. we're still going to have Mm self-interest, we're going to assume positive intent, but we have to get to the point where everybody is respected. How does that happen, especially in today's political environment?
1: Well, I I think it's not even so much the political climate I think it's an attitudinal thing. I think it's uh, some of the things that I see happening is like instant gratification, me first, my kid, uh, you know, I'll get what I need for Jimmy, but um, not, not thinking in terms of our collective uh you know, what we could do for all of us if all of us work together, for all of us. I'm very worried for this because I'll tell you what I see happening is frustrated parents right now are breaking off from the system and creating their own communities, their own houses, their own whatevers, which, as I watch this, that's where I came in. That's where I came in, in 1959, where we created our own schools and our own whatevers, because there was no public system. The more that this happens and goes about, and they're building farms for people with mental retardation, I mean, intellectual disabilities, you know, that's how Elwyn Institute began in 1836. In Pennsylvania, they built Elwin Institute for people to go and be trained to be good community people. Of course, once they got in there, they never came out. Uh, I, 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 I'm worried that we're fragmenting right now instead of coming together. So, 202060 is 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 scary to me. Are we going to be you're on your own? Are we going to be valuing some contributors more than others? I have the films that Hitler put out during his rise to power, the killing films. I don't know if you've ever seen them. They're quite dramatic. No. Anyway, he, he was subtle. He would just have these movies, and two people that maybe looked like they might have intellectual disability or whatever... With how many Deutschmarks? And they desensitized the population. They even had films where, like, a woman who was a cellist, uh, and she's very gifted, but she's developing multiple sclerosis or multi- muscular dystrophy. Anyway, one of the debilitating muscular issues. And the point is that she should recognize that she's becoming a liability and she should end her whole life. So, so take herself out of the picture. And these are really really powerful films. They could really influence behavior and, and that I think that some behavior. people
0: assume that can't happen again.
1: Oh it could happen tomorrow. Look sure. how easily look how easily people are, are are look how teenagers are committing suicide because the, the Facebook page told them they should end their life. That's, right. that's going on right this minute. We're, we're, you know, classmates. So this is my biggest worry, is that as the system is in its cost problems, rather than uh, organizing and advocating as those families did for the whole, you know because by the time we got the right to education a lot of those families kids were long past school age and never got to benefit but they never quit the fight and uh, uh i am really worried about our not just our nation nationally world worldwide i see what's happening hungary came real forward when i worked with them in the 90s and 8 uh, and 2000s and now hungary has a president that's taking it back, uh, very uh, oppressive, uh, non-welcoming. Uh, oh, there's a European uh, initiative underway to try to save a place for people with intellectual and other disabilities. So, uh, you know, things can come and things can go. And I guess my biggest worry is I would like to see in 2040, 20, 2060 20, that we had Uh, A human society worldwide that valued one another and where someone needed some wheels under them, they got them, and someone else who had some wheels shared. That's what I would love to see. Just
0: because of the intrinsic value of human worth. Yeah,
1: yeah. All people are valuable. And that's, you know, I work right now with the mental health court and our probationers. (laughs) And... uh, you know, And sometimes on our treatment team, the prosecutor, the defense attorney, not so much the judge, I've known him a long time, but they, they're kind of getting discouraged with the compliance of the probationer. And they're thinking maybe he should be out of the program. And I'm arguing, no, this is... <laughs> yeah. so, and then I make suggestions of what they could do that would support that person to be... Successful, but, but those that are in the program and, and do uh, it's, it's really magnificent because they stay out of jail. They don't get that record. The record gets expunged. They get mental health treatment and uh, and support and counseling, and all these things are are accessible to them. But that should be for everyone. You know what you need. I, that's why I say if we. Should, did you ask me the the litmus test question? Start. Yeah, you know, if we could get to the place where that's what how we all did, there's all these initiatives to to raise the situation for caregivers, uh, you know, those who are caring for their family member at home, and for those in you know that work in the group home or whatever. And I keep saying, caregiving is going to be a national, international emergency as we mm-hmm. are an aging population. And why are we not teamed with the area agencies on aging and the long-term services and supports instead of staying over here and, you know, trying, and, and there's real opposition to that. Uh, it's actually opposed by uh, advocates for people with intellectual disabilities. They don't want to disappear in the mass of older people, except that some of People with disabilities are older people. <laughs> yeah, it's
0: funny but, how you try to yeah. distinguish
1: and, that. And, and, then, uh, uh, and then at the area agencies group, they're also those that have control over the long-term services and supports don't want to add some more people. So, I, I mean, it's so, to me, it's self-defeating. It's a, turf, self-defeating. War. It's a yeah. turf war. And, you know, to me, we're just, we're just all people. You know, that's all we
3: are. Welcome to the Unlocky Chaff Cafe. I'm Carrie Johnson, Cafe Manager, and I'm here with my co-host, Steve, to kind of unpack some of that fabulous interview with Liz Bauer. So, let's Touch on a couple of the main points that you wanted to refocus on for our folks here at the cafe.
0: Well, first of all, it's really hard to boil down a few main points because Liz Bauer is pretty darn interesting. But I would say that the things that I think are most impactful for me is she says, always assume a positive intent when you're talking with people about your child. And sometimes we're in a contentious relationship with IEPs and CMH and every other letter in the alphabet. We're not always thinking, let's say, cooperative thoughts, or maybe sometimes a little bit combative because we're not hearing what we like. It's helpful to assume that they're trying their best to do what they can within the resources they have. It doesn't mean we have to accept it, but I don't think they're trying to do harm. And so it's better to assume positive intent and then work from there. And you probably will get more accomplished that way.
3: Ah, okay. It is hard to picture that, especially when you're sitting on one side of the room and all these other people are on the other side of the room, like at an IEP. Right. It feels very attacking. And oftentimes it's some of the language that they use feels very restrictive, deme- not demeaning, but... Condescending? Yeah. yeah it feels condescending. that way. Yeah, it feels like that. During some of these things, it's so much of it is focusing on the things that your child is not capable of right. doing. Right, deficit. That, yeah, and that's yeah. hard. Yeah. Because all the rest of your life is spent trying to focus on the things that they can do, or teaching them ways to do typical things.
0: Yeah, deficit thinking is always really difficult for parents to accept. Yes. At least it, is, yeah. it has been for us. So
3: assume positive, positive intent. intent.
0: They didn't go and get a social work degree to sit there and fight with parents about respite. (laughs) It might seem that way, but... And then another one is listen to understand and ask questions. So if they're talking about what the limitations of the resources are that they have for your child, according to Liz, uh, you listen to understand what they're saying, but it doesn't mean you accept it. You can come back and say, well, why is that? And why can't we do this a different way? And, And maybe show them that there's other possibilities. Exactly. So, whatever, it's more like maintaining an attitude of positivity, an attitude of focus, not of fighting, but an attitude of focusing on what's best for your child. So, that's the second one. Uh, the third one, uh, parents are the greatest force for change. And they did that back in the 60s when they got together and parents decided to create schools for their kids when they weren't involved in the public schools. And they they pushed a lot of boundaries and got things accomplished. But parents can also be the greatest obstacle to change because we want to protect our children. And so we don't want to necessarily put them in a position where they might experience failure. And we, we carry on parenting a little bit too far without trusting them to make their own decisions.
3: Sometimes. Yeah, not but always, not always. Sometimes we're also caught up in, I don't get a lot of the parental support that maybe Liz did mm-hmm. because of some of the newer restrictions in regards to HIPAA. Um, I mean, yeah. you, know, you, you used to be able to give invitations out to... Right, the birthday birthday party? party. um, Yeah. And they they couldn't tell us who the the kid in this class were. What? You know, and and I can't tell you that. And it's like, excuse me? (laughs) I'm just going to have people randomly show up at my house. Wow. I'm
0: going to put a wire in my kid and hear you say the names. (laughs) You (laughs) know, it's like,
3: okay. You know, (laughs) dear friend, come to my birthday. Doesn't that sound special? Yeah, right. So, you know, you have to, again, you just have to find...
0: To whom it may concern. Other (laughs) ways.
3: Yeah, right. (laughs) five-year-old doesn't want that
0: <laughs> really it sounds special
3: <laughs> so it's 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 trying to find these other ways that parents can come alongside and a lot of times it's helpful to hear some success stories from parents who have done this release
0: and by the way if you have some success stories please send them in we want to hear about them and the last thing i had down here is avoiding self-interest liz in the first part of her interview you talked about when parents started cooperating And doing things together, whether they had cerebral palsy or Down syndrome, it made no difference. But when the needs were common and they presented common. A, a common solution or they spoke with one voice the legislature listened things got done they got out of their silos and they got into the march together right well sometimes when we jump to solutions because we want to make sure that our kid gets the right house we want to make sure that they have the right arrangements we go and fix that for them but the problem is that there's many others it's not getting done for and it's better to create those solutions together to co-create them and keep in mind we're doing it for an entire community
3: and our child and the ones coming after us our child exactly you know exactly those other kids that uh, as my mother pointed out once upon a time carrie <laughs> you have a big mouth you should use it your for mother good. told you you had a big mouth i know can you imagine how rude that she told uh, me but <laughs> hey <laughs> hey okay but you know it was i always thought about it as there is a mom too overwhelmed too overworked too drowning in this i can't talk. I can say things. I do say things. So I'm saying it not just for me, but them, too.
0: Well, I look at it like if you're swinging a machete through the weeds to make a path, make it big enough for the next person to come along too. Well, you least might as, for as well the wheelchair. Yeah, 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 for the wheelchair, right? <laughs> I mean, as long as you're doing this fight, document, make sure it can be replicated, or just create the solution so that others can follow. Don't make it a one-time, a one-shot wonder where your kid gets what they need, right? Right. And then somebody else does. Well, and
3: you know, I, I also, I recall a situation where uh, I found out after the fact that a group. That was more Down syndrome was fighting for something at a local level that I sure could have joined in on. Mm -hmm. It wasn't strictly for Down syndrome diagnoses,
0: but But, but
3: I didn't know. And it's (laughs) like, well, dang, why didn't you tell me? Again, I have kind of a big mouth. I would have been there opening it for you. But I didn't know. There might yeah. be other big miles out there that can help us in this fight. And that's
0: not to say we realize that with certain diagnoses, there are specific interests and concerns that parents might have yes. that aren't the same for somebody else. But I would say that, I mean, a huge percentage of the, the challenges we face are common. And there's a lot of reason why we should speak with one voice and actually approach that
3: together. A combined voice. Right. Because none numbers matter in a lot of these situations it's like that
0: choir when one person sings and two people sing and you hear more and more and all of a sudden you got the hallelujah chorus and it makes right. quite an impression it is it is so those Fearful. are the things that really struck me about uh, liz and from episode one and episode two she was a remarkable person to start out this podcast with because of her ease of recalling all the things that happened over the last 40 50 60 years actually 1960 wow it was 60 years ago wow yeah Time flies. Anyway, um, she was just remarkable to speak with. I think that that pretty much wraps it up for episode two of Liz Bauer. And now it's time for you to take us out.
3: All right. It's that time where we get to say our thank yous. First of all, thank you to Alex Johnson, our producer. Holly Johnson is our artistic creator and website designer and creative guru. Daniela Munoz is our intern. And our beta listeners, who they get to listen to these episodes before you do and kind of help us smooth over some of the rough edges that hopefully you will never notice. Or you will. Let us know. Oh, my, 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 my. To us, they are the heroes putting their ears at risk for your sake. Navigating Life as we know it is a production of Envision Media Group, LLC. Steve Johnson is your host. And I, Carrie Johnson, am your co-host and cafe manager. Thank you for listening.